You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber. Please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit inspiresleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 104 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, where Marissa Meyer is queen, captain is king, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew patron supporters. Thank you. Today's guest is a Rampy and Crew patron supporter, Miss Larissa. Hi. Hi, Larissa, take a moment and uh, introduce yourself and tell everybody how you found Marissa Meyer's books. Um, so I'm Larissa, um, and I'm pretty sure I'm the youngest person on the uh, Ramping crew, so that's cool. Um, Actually, and I-, I have someone who's 13. Oh, cool. So you are not the baby anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were for a while, though. Yeah. I was just a little kid who like was like, oh, what what are we talking about? <laughs> um, I found Marissa Meyer's books when I was 10. Um, and keep in mind, Cinder came out when I was five. Um, and like, I read it really quickly. Um, my sister found it first. She actually spoiled it for me. Um, well, I'm never letting that go. Um, (laughs) she told me that, um, Cinder was Princess Selene, and I was like, oh, like, she thought I had already gotten to that part, and I didn't. Um, yeah, and then I forced all my friends to read it. That's awesome. That's, like, my entire relationship with my friends is, like, have you read this book yet? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I got one of my friends to read Renegades, and then, like, he's partway through the first book, and then he got a hamster, and... Um, he named it Nova, and I was like, oh my god, yay! That's yeah. awesome. Because they're amazing books, yeah. and they deserve all the credit in the world. Mm-hmm. So what are you currently reading at the moment? I'm reading um, House of Hades by Rick Reardon. I've read it before, Ooh. but like, yeah, it's really good. I actually have not read anything by him, but I own stuff by him, so it's definitely on my my list. Okay, you should read it. Like... <laughs> <laughs> It's on that very, very, very long list. Yeah, the books are, like, kind of for, like, younger audiences, but, like, some of the um, more recent books are for, like, a little bit older, I think. That's fair. Yeah. So I'm reading... I'm trying to carry my... 
trying to get the name right because I'm like turning around looking at myself. I'm reading Stalking Jack the Ripper by Carrie Mansiglag. You know what? I can't say it. I just can't. So it's, it's Stalking Jack the Ripper. Uh, <laughs> I can't pronounce the name, but it's really good so far. Uh, I just wrapped up the Daughter of the Moon series by Abigail Spagari, and I loved it. So I'm really excited for her next series. I know that she's working on it right now, which like I'm really excited, but that also means that like you know it's gonna come out in like three years yeah <laughs> anytime I hear an author and they're like yeah I'm working on a book I'm like me too it takes a while I get it <laughs> so today we are going to talk about Ferris pages 13 through 30 but first I have some amazing fan art this is from April 30th it is by May 12324 on DeviantArt big thank you for letting me share um it is Everett and Solstice hail while Solstice is pregnant, and it makes me so happy. Yeah. Anyone who like loves TLC and is looking for fan art and stuff, the Everett Solstice fan art—it's a really small pile. Yeah. Very small pile. So, anytime I get any fan art of them, I'm super excited. Um, and I think that this particular fan art is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. The like detail on her dress is awesome. Yes. Great. The, like, phases of the moon going across her collar. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. So big thank you for letting me share that. Uh, last week, Patreon members voted for chapter titles for pages 1 through 13. It is titled The Funeral by Band of Horses. And we are four minutes and 39 seconds in and ready to talk about chapter discussion. All that right. might be a record. Oh, Yeah. I'm, I'm like so super excited. proud of us <laughs> yeah I'm so excited to um get into chapter <laughs> discussion because I've been talking to my phone since like day one of like <laughs> I've been like no this is what should be <laughs> it's so amazing and you know like these fairest chapters it's like every section that we cover I'm like oh my gosh there's like not a lull in this book <laughs> yeah <laughs> So last week we left off with our first look at Lavana's teenage life, the loss of her parents, and a little insight into the relationship dynamic with her sister, Channery. Now we're in the Great Hall, more like the Gray Hall. Ha 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 I love little jokes like that. Um, it's very elaborate and unusual lunar fashion everywhere. The gray is the only indication that they're even in mourning. Um, and it's just basically a party. Yeah. D and also like disguised as a funeral. Yeah. So when they're talking about like, um, they have like gray hair, they like had to choose to have gray hair in that. So like, yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't want to have gray hair. So like, it's like a, it's like a fashion statement for them. Yeah. The great hall was filled with grays, gray hair, gray makeup, gray gloves, gray gowns, gray stockings, charcoal jackets and heather sleeves, snowdrop shoes and stormy top hats. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, just absolutely covered in gray. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to indicate that they're in mourning. But otherwise, there's no indication of mourning. It's just like a fabulous party. Even Channery's outfit is like super showy and over dramatic. There's like a holograph that's showing younger versions of the king and the queen at their wedding, but nobody's really paying attention to it. Yeah, I'm getting Hunger Games capital vibes. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, her mom got married when she was like 15. So, oh. 
Uh-uh. It seems awfully young, but like I remember my one of my grandparents got married. I think she was only 15 or 16 when she had an arranged marriage with my grandfather. And I believe he was like 20, 21. Oh, now to, to be fair, uh, this was like very close to World War II Europe and arranged marriages were not that uncommon. And they like got married and fled to the U.S. immediately after. So not super surprising. It is a bit of an age gap, though. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm looking at the things that I've written. Um, <laughs> the baby predator. <laughs> <laughs> she is baby predator, yes. Yeah. I love that. Definitely baby predator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a typo. Uh, there's a typo on mine on page 14. It says it's the wrong type of then. And I was just wondering if anybody else had uh, a typo. Mine says then than. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Then then it says this. It says the two together. Then then barely older than than Lavana was now. Oh, it's not a typo. I just don't know how to read. Oh. <laughs> barely older than, as in past, as in previously. Oh. Then Lavana is now. Oh. Then, as then. in in comparison to. Wow, y'all. That's embarrassing. Oh wow. my goodness. I can't believe I say things out loud and everyone in the universe has to hear them because I have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Anyways, um, (laughs) moving on. Shall we move on (laughs) before I embarrass it myself further? There are recordings of the royal family, but they're completely prohibited. So everything that's showing up on the hologram is all like rendered portraits because the cameras aren't going to pick up a glamour. So it has to be a recorded, uh, it has to be like an artist rendering as opposed to like the actual representation of these people. Yeah. So like, which is interesting. I'm guessing like you have a glamour that you like use all the time. Cause like, she's like recognizing that like the glamours that they wore all the time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it would get exhausting to, like, make yourself look different 24-7, right? So yeah. I suppose the assumption is that they just perfect their original appearances so that they still look like themselves, but just, like, a more perfect version. So, like, yeah, you know, maybe they have auburn hair and they brighten it to look more, uh, like, a vibrant red. Um, or maybe they have, like you know, darker skin or paler skin. And so they adjust it for whatever mood they're in that day. Um, or I know she talks about like changing the sloping of her nose. It's like instant plastic surgery, I guess you can yeah. cover the blemishes and, you know, bags under your eyes and um, puffy cheeks. If you're having like a bloated day or something, I-, I have to assume it's like the same as when people wear like contouring makeup, like you can still tell it's them. They just have a lot of makeup on. You know? Yeah. Um, but, like, it's kind of, like, would be weird to live in a world where, like, everyone's, like, make not makeup, glamour is, like, perfect and they look amazing all the time. Because then, like, what do they really look like? Is it going to be, like, a huge shock for you when you figure out that they don't actually look like that? I think it's also kind of intimidating. Yeah. Because you're talking about people who look perfect all the time so it's like if you're not good at glamours 
Well, you better get good at glamour. Right. Like <laughs> if you're not good at glamour, or maybe if you don't have like a good material to start out with or something, you know, it, it feels very influential in that way. Yeah. So I forget people's names like a lot. And I <laughs> like before um, coming on here, I wrote a list of like everyone's name that I might need. And like half of them are spelled very incorrectly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The next thing we should talk about is Channery's behavior at this funeral. So she's forcing Lavana to give this speech because she doesn't want to. She's wearing this gaudy outfit and she's just kind of reveling in all the attention. She loves everybody coming up and giving her their condolences and just the attention that she's getting is like everything she could have ever wanted basically and it's like but this is your parents funeral yeah i don't think that's how you're supposed to mourn your parents um not like- it doesn't feel like an accurate example of mourning yeah like i don't think that's like her coping mechanism of just acting like she wants attention um right if, if it is your coping me- mechanism she needs a better one because that's not very healthy yeah so Lavana's really nervous about giving this speech and she's worried she's going to lose control of her glamour and everyone's going to see what she truly looks like. Um, and this is kind of where we get an insight into what might be beneath Lavana's glamour as we're talking about what if you don't look like your glamour, right? Yeah. The rumors were bad enough. Whispers that the young princess was not at all beautiful had, in fact, been grotesquely disfigured in some tragic accident in her childhood, that it was a mercy no one would ever have to look on her, that they were lucky she was as skilled at her glamour as she was, so they wouldn't have to tolerate such ugliness in their precious court. Eee, that... Ah, that sounds scarring. It does, right? Yeah, having, like... Like, knowing that people talk about you like that behind your back. And it makes you wonder the validity of these rumors. Is she, does she have some kind of disfigurement from an accident? Is there something about her that has been altered? Yeah, maybe that's... Sorry, my husband is texting me questions. (laughs) Uh, In case anybody wants to know what my husband just texted me, because it's funny. Super, super hungry. Can't wait to get off of work. Hope you don't have any plans because we are getting Mexican. This is not a request. We are getting Mexican. I will be home at 4.30 and I hope you're ready to go because as I said, I'm super hungry. Okay, cool. <laughs> By the way, love you. So I guess I'm having Mexican for dinner. Yeah. Not a complaint on my part because as you all know, I love food. But I just think it's funny that he's like, we have to get Mexican because I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, moving on, because it doesn't sound like they're having any kind of fun, festive food at this party. So, Lavana sees Everett, and she just loses herself. So, he became her father's guard when she was only eight years old, and she has loved him ever since then. He's 10 years older than her, so remember, she's 15. This would make him 25. I said, like, you, you, because... I don't think they're supposed to have crush on somebody 10 years old. And he's like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't necessarily have an issue with age differences. Yeah. Uh, because some people have like really big age gaps. And I don't necessarily think that that means that their relationship isn't going to be like successful or something. Yeah. It's just what's what's disturbing in this situation is that she's under a legal age and he's well above a legal age. Yeah. You know, so... 
Let's read whatever it looks like. His skin was ebony dark, his eyes full of intelligence and cunning when he was on duty, and mirth when he was relaxed. She had once caught flecks of gray and emerald in his irises, and ever since she was mesmerized by his eyes, hoping to be close enough one day to witness those flecks again. His hair was a mess of tightly coiled locks, long enough to seem unruly, short enough to be refined. That doesn't, I mean, I don't think that's a glamour. No, it doesn't sound like a glamour. And, yeah. and from what we learned from Jacin, guards are not good at using their gift. Yeah. So the gla- that's why they need to be attractive. Yeah, and like, it sounds a little bit like she's more in love with the idea of him than with actually being in love with him. I don't know why I wrote moldy boldy vibes. Oh, I think that was, <laughs> I think that was for something else. What did you write? <laughs> Vol- well, uh, moldy boldy, aka Voldemort. I don't think it yeah, was for I'm this part, but like... Moldy, <laughs> I have like a note I mean, on I'm, my phone I'm and then like... of like the poem at the end of Deathly Hallows where it's like moldy boldy no more from Peeves. Is like yeah. singing this song about Moldy Voldy no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have like a note of my, on my phone of things, and I don't remember why I put that there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, maybe we'll we'll read on and see if we find it. So he yeah. is wearing a gray suit. She says he looks like a prince, and um, she has always thought he is the most handsome man on all of Luna. She fixes her glamour as he approaches her because she wants to seem small and in need of protection. Um, and this is such a huge contrast of the Lavana that we know because Lavana, the predator that we've been dealing with as an adult, she never wants to show any kind of weakness or vulnerabilities of any kind. Yeah. She never wants to seem small insignificant delicate precious in need of protection she's she's the exact opposite where she wants to show this like wall of insurmountable impenetrableness yeah she's just like constantly trying to be like don't mess with me and i know better than you and i'm just really awesome and then here she's like "Mm, protect me ah it's so strange to think of her as someone who would even want that. Yeah. Because the Lavana that we know, the adult Lavana, is so vastly different. Mm-hmm. So he kisses the air above her hand. And this is, she's so, it, it's hard to picture her as Lavana that we know. Because in reading this, I'm like... I'm thinking back to like when I was 15 and had crushes on people um, and how I like over exaggerated every stare or kiss or touch uh, or even look across the room because I thought that meant they liked me too. And uh, she's convinced herself that this is beyond a crush or lust or even reason of any kind. This, you know, all he's offering her is kind words of condolences, but she reads into it as much as possible. Yeah, that's, like, I mean, yeah. How old is she um, in the other books? We don't know, but we think 35. Okay, so this is 20 years before. Yeah, so it's a pretty, we're, we're going pretty far back. Yeah. So the words that she clings to, that she saves to her memory, he says, I am so sorry for your loss. The sorrow belongs to, to us all. But I know you bear the weight more than anyone. I mean, it doesn't sound like she was very close with her parents. 
So like, I find that so interesting that he says, "I know you bear the weight more than anyone." Yeah. But she she saves everything to her memory to be analyzed later, much as I did when I was that age. And she doesn't think that he was particularly fond of the queen, the king and queen. But perhaps his grief is that he is a guard. He's very proud to be a guard. Um, and he's upset that he wasn't there to prevent the murders, which he feels is his duty. Yeah. Um, but like people were killed because of that. Um, yeah. And she's like really grateful that he wasn't one of the ones killed. Yeah. It's kind of weird how some guards are like really bad at glamour and stuff and I don't have a very strong gift because I know that there was a shell who assassinated them but like if it hadn't been if the guards were better at like detecting people they may have like been able to um like stop it better except you know I don't think it's that the guards can't like sense another person with their gift I think the the issue um comes from them relying too much on their gift they rely so heavily on this gift that they can't physically hear someone sneak up behind them hide and seek would not be fun with those no hide and seek would be dreadful yeah you know we don't know the exact details or what these guards actual job entails or things like that but it's interesting to think of the concept because like well i'm from the states so i guess that's my interpretation but like the the concept here is that like if you're a guard so to speak is that you're alert and observant and so you're listening intently you're looking intently you're aware of your surroundings and anyone who's in your surroundings and it seems like lunars rely very heavily on being able to sense another person's bioelectricity and so that's how these shells are able to move around without being detected is because you can't um, you can't sense their bioelectricity. And to me, that seems like a huge gap in their training because they should still be able to hear and see uh, and be observant enough of their surroundings and aware of what's going on at all times to be able to notice someone approaching, even if they can't sense them. Yeah. And has like nothing like this ever happened before with like someone just like even just like jump scaring you and you didn't realize they were there because they're a shell. Or is this, like, the first time a shell has used that to their advantage? Yeah. I I mean, I think that with the shells, there's always been, like, an undercurrent mm-hmm. of um, oppression, this, like, deep prejudice of different other outside the norm i think there's going to be that possibility of shells wanting to use their lack of a gift as sort of a uh uh something in their favor a tool that they can use and so i wouldn't be surprised if there were other shell attacks or instances or even murders where they were able to sort of sneak their way in and around a situation because they can't be detected but it seems like this is a first within the royal family yeah see the shells would be really good at hide and seek the shells would be amazing at hide and seek yes except if they were the one counting because they wouldn't be able to sense anybody 
And and that's my thing is that like I, I harped on Cinder a little bit in the last couple of books because she can't sense people as easily as Lunars who've been trained to do it their whole lives. And so she doesn't always know when someone's right around the corner. But even if you're not sensing them, if you're trying to be incognito and hide, you should be quiet. Yeah. You should be listening intently and paying attention to your surroundings. Like, and I'm not judging these people. I'm not a better guard, you guys. I'm really not. I'd probably cry or pee my pants <laughs> or pass out or all of the above. But I'm thinking back to like any time where I felt the need to be silent, where I felt the need to be quiet, whether it was playing hide and seek or whatever, you know. Um, and and when you're in that position, it almost feels like any tiny noise is louder and magnified. And so it's interesting to me that these guards were able to have a shell sneak up on them simply because that shell could not be controlled yeah they have to they should probably like have to go through like a certain amount of training to get there and that should probably like tell you you need to get good at your senses you need to like be able to hear people you need to like be really um observant so it says they were assassinated by a shell who used his invincibility against the lunar gift to sneak into the palace so that's how he got in no one could sense him The man had shot two royal guards in the head before making his way to her parents' bedroom on the third floor, killing three more guards and slitting his mother's throat, or slitting her mother's throat, and then he walked down the hallway and started stabbing uh, her father. So here's my question. How heavily do they rely on this gift as a way to protect themselves? Because even if you can't control someone to stop what they're doing, you could still use your physical body to try and at least fight off an attacker or run or something. But we're given no indication that anyone tried to stop this person at all other than using their lunar gift. Yeah, and also, this is kind of random, but it said that, like, he shot a bunch of people, so that indicates he probably had a gun. But why did he choose to stab the king and queen? Was there, like, Um, painful death? Just because I pay too much attention to, like, law and order and murder mysteries and stuff. Murder when using a gun is typically a murder of convenience. And murder when using a a sharp object where you're stabbing someone is usually considered a crime of passion. It's a way to physically take out your aggression and anger on an individual person, especially the overkill of stabbing 16 times and cutting someone's throat so far that it's basically severed from their head. Uh. It's gross. And I might be wrong about that. I'm not an FBI profiler. I just have a weird obsession with like true crime and murder mystery and stuff. But typically guns are used as a quick and convenient way of committing murder and crimes of passion are a little bit more aggressive and violent. Yeah. If I was into true crime, I would not be able to sleep at night. I definitely don't watch it before bed, but I love (laughs) listening to my murder mystery podcast. Something that does irritate my husband, though, is that I will listen to my murder mystery podcast while I'm on a run. Oh. (laughs) But I just find it gives me more motivation. Oh, wow. To, like, run faster, you know? I get get scared really easily. (laughs) I I definitely have had nights where I'm like, "Mm, I watched that too close to bed. Let's watch Tangled or Rugrats or something (laughs) to get it off my mind, you know? Yeah. So... Let's move on before we give Larissa nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) He's always been very proud to be a guard. So 
She tells him that she's very thankful for him and that he is one of her father's favorites. And she doesn't know if that's true, but it's nice to like say something nice, right? Mm -hmm. And he says he's going to continue to serve the family faithfully. And then he ruins Luvana's life forever. Oh, no. He turns and he says, Your Highness... I do not believe you have ever met my wife. Her Royal Highness Princess Lavana Blackburn, this is Solstice Hale. Sol, this is her most charming Highness Princess Lavana. I wonder if Scamp heard what we were discussing because he just started yipping in his sleep. Hi, Scamp. He's okay. Beowulf is licking his head. Um, <laughs> it's just interesting that he would start having a, a yipping in his sleep right when we're talking about stabbing people. Oh, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> so this is like a dagger to Lavana. She has a wife. We later find out that she's a pregnant wife. So let's go ahead and read what she has to say after, after meeting the wife. Something shriveled up inside Lavana turning hard and sharp in her gut. But she forced herself to smile and offer her hand as Solstice curtsied and kissed her fingers and said something that Lavana didn't hear. She knew that Everett had taken a wife some years ago, but she had given this fact little consideration. After all, her parents were married, but that had seemed to create no great affection between them. And what was a wife in a world in which mistresses were as common as servants and monogamy was as rare as an earthen eclipse. What kind of society is this? Uh. So the concept of monogamy is when two partners have decided to remain faithful to each other and uh, they do not seek emotional or physical love or comfort or affection from other people, basically, right? Yeah, like doves. Right. So like, I don't cheat on my husband. My husband doesn't cheat on me. We have a monogamous relationship. We are faithful only to each other. But it seems like in this society, monogamy is rare and also frowned upon. She seems like really judgy of the whole concept of monogamy. She's like, it doesn't matter that he's married because people have mistresses in this world and no one cares about monogamy and, and staying faithful to your spouse. Why even get married then? Like political gain? But like, I guess so. But as a guard, what is his political gain? He's a guard. Yeah. Like, I guess when she's talking about her parents, like, I don't know which one of them like comes from the royal one, but maybe uh, whoever isn't in the royal line, like probably married into it and like were probably like really cool and political. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I just don't think that I think that applies to Lavana's world. I'm wondering if it applies outside Lavana's world. Lavana's world is surrounded by politics, diplomats, kings, queens, people in governing positions. And so, like you said, all of those those marriages might have been marriages of convenience, marriages of political gain or ways to further yourself in your career. Mm -hmm. But outside of the palace, outside of the world that 15-year-old Lavana has been exposed to, on the rest of Luna in the society of, like, everyday Lunars who work at the palace or, or have another job somewhere, would that still be considered uh, the norm to have a relationship or marriage that didn't revolve around monogamy? Mm-hmm. It's... Because yeah. Lavana almost seems like it's an archaic practice in her mind. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'd be interested in um, understanding a little bit more. If any listeners do not believe in monogamy, you may email me. I would love to understand uh, a little bit more about uh, the concept that, that, you know, puts you in that position where you don't want to be held down to one person, you know? Yeah. So Lavana is standing there staring at Solstice, who is incredibly beautiful and not in a glamoured sort of way. She had a cheerful, heart-shaped face, elegantly arched eyebrows, and honey-toned skin. She wore her hair loose for the occasion, and it fell nearly to her waist in thick, dark strands that held just a little bit of a curl. Everett looked at her with a gentleness that Lavana had never before seen in a man's eyes, and that look sparked a yearning in her so strong it felt like agony. Oh, I'm back to look at the fan art. That's this great fan art. This fan art is amazing, right? It's perfect. Yeah. I'm so glad I got it, especially for this chapter. Um, and this is kind of heartbreaking. This, I think, goes back to what you were saying about how Lavana is just interested in being loved and not necessarily Everett. You know, I think part of her obviously finds Everett appealing and attractive, but she also has a very strong desire to be loved. And it even says like the way that Everett looks at his wife is what she desires. Like that's, that is what sparks a yearning in her so strong. It feels like agony. That's depressing. It's very depressing. So Solstice is also pregnant. Lavana didn't know that she was pregnant. So this is a little bit of a shock to her, but she kind of takes it in stride. She hears herself talking and, and responding to what's going on. And Everett is very proud of his wife. He says that she's a seamstress and she was even commissioned to embroider some of the gowns worn at this party. Oh, that must be fun. Or not, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's probably going to make a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, a decent amount, hopefully. And it says that she's very popular with the court, but that just makes Lavana hate her even more. Mm-hmm. Lavana notices that Everett dotes on Solstice and that she seems very fragile, um, very delicate, and she wonders why, what is wrong with Solstice that Everett feels the need to to treat her this way. I guess because she's like never heard about the concept of love, that like she's never like witnessed it. She's never witnessed it. She doesn't have any frame of reference for for love or doting or affection. So I think I did say that I wasn't going to do tangents, but this is a little, very little one. Um, I am very clumsy, as most of you know. And when I am walking around with my husband, if there is like a ledge that I have to walk up or down, I've kind of gotten in the habit of reaching my hand out and he grabs it and holds onto it while I walk up or down to make sure that I don't fall. Mm-hmm. And a couple of months ago when I was with my sister, Lindsay, who is listening. So hello, Lindsay. Hi. Uh, I forgot that Quentin was not there and I reached my hand out as we were walking and she held on to me while I went up and down uh, this, this stair so that I wouldn't fall down. Um, and I thought it was so funny. And I even told her about it. And she's like, I don't know. I saw you put your arm out. So I was like, oh, she needs help. Here we go. Um, but it's it's like a, a tiny piece of affection that seems kind of silly. 
you know, it's like so simple and, and kind of a throwaway to be like, oh, yeah, he holds her arm so she doesn't fall down. But it is a level of affection that my husband has for me that he's like, it's so much easier in life when she doesn't fall down and hurt herself. I will help her walk. OK, I, well, you just said reminded me of something, which I know is kind of a tangent. But when I was like, I don't know, I couldn't have, I was like younger than 10, probably. I went to Legoland with my family and I was holding my mom's hand and then we went past this group of people and somehow I ended up holding, that was like a family, I ended up holding that, the, the mom of that family's hand and I was like, oh my God, where am I? What's happening? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> a different mom. <laughs> yeah. And then I let go of her hand when I realized what was happening and I went back to my family and then, oh, this was, I felt, I felt really guilty about this for a couple of years. The lady was getting mad at one of her kids for letting go of her hand. And the kid was like, no, that was, I didn't, I wasn't holding your hand in the first place. And I was like, oh, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so funny. I, I love the whole concept of like, you get so used to being around certain people um, and and having those mannerisms and interactions with them. And then you sort of, when you're in a different position or surrounded by other people, you, you kind of instinctively um, muscle memory and you still <laughs> continue to have those behaviors, you know, like me reaching out my arm when no one was there. Uh, but luckily my sister Lindsay was paying attention to me for some reason. She was like, yeah, I got you, girl. <laughs> but I do think that I wonder if Lavana has ever held someone's hand or been hugged or any kind of affection whatsoever, because it doesn't seem like this society um, encourages that kind of affection. Uh, this is kind of a weird society where, like, you don't, like, like, are you not affectionate with the people that are around you and you're not, like, and you don't even have people that you love. Like, you have a family, but... It doesn't seem like Lavana's parents loved each other. It doesn't seem like she loves her sister. It doesn't seem like her sister loves her. It doesn't seem like either of them loved their parents or their parents even loved them. Or uh, even each other. Yeah. That their parents even loved each other. Yeah. And Lavana even points that out a little bit. She says that she feels like she is surrounded by lies. Is, is divorce common in this society? Because like... Like, they never, like, It seems her. like it's more common to have a mistress than to get divorced. Yeah. Maybe divorce Which begs the question, why get married at all? Yeah. It seems like, I don't know, I feel like um, in this society, divorce would be frowned upon, too. But, like, not getting married is frowned upon, and then d d being faithful is frowned upon. Just it's just a weird. strange concept. Yeah. But she says that she's never witnessed monogamy or true love. She says she did not think she had ever witnessed it, not beside the fairy tales she'd been told in the chat. They have fairy tales? What fairy tales? Obviously not like Cinderella, because this is that's what the book's about. So, I, hey, if you're good at writing and have good yeah. ideas, I can write I some. mean, I think that... Perhaps in this context, a fairy tale would be consistent with like just a um, sort of outdated tale that emphasizes a reality that doesn't fit with the one Lavana is familiar with. Ooh, wait. So, Maybe the fairy tales you were told about were about the people who first came to Luna and colonized it. That's a good thought. Yeah. And back then, they still had love. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a good thought. Somebody make me lunar fairy tale book cover. I'm curious what it would look like. If you're bored and you want something to do, that is your assignment. I will share it all over social media. Yeah. Um, it would make me super happy. <laughs> so what was your chapter title for this first portion of our uh, reading? Um, uh, was this Teardrops on My Guitar by Taylor Swift? Yeah, th- that's yes. what I did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I want listeners and especially Patreon members to listen that was Larissa's choice, okay? I'm not the only one obsessed with Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, I get that so many times. They're like, can we have something? Bethany, you have to pick something besides Taylor Swift. It's like, it's not always me. And it's not my fault that she's written like 9 million songs. Yeah, Taylor Swift is a great artist. I've been listening to Fearless Taylor's ver- version for like, on repeat for like, the last, whenever it came out. I love it. It makes me happy. Yeah. I have also been listening to it basically <laughs> nonstop. Yeah. But so why did you choose Teardrops on My Guitar for this one? So um, it just sounds like she's kind of um, angry that her crush um, is like is d- dating or is married to um, in the song is dating and then in the book is married to someone else. Um, and that they actually are affectionate for them. Yeah, and in that case, I also wonder if um, You Belong With Me would have been a good choice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Too late now, because I already put the building <laughs> up. But yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of that. Um, so I picked I Wonder by Shawn Mendes, which is a wonderful song, but it's all about being in love with someone and wondering what it would be like if that person could love you too. Yeah. So this is the lyric that I think really, really catches how Lavana feels about Everett. Right before I close my eyes, the only thing that's on my mind, been dreaming that you feel it too. I wonder what it's like to be loved by you. Yeah. I was just- Yeah. I was singing that in my brain when you said that. Perfect. Oh, yeah. It's so hard not to sing it sometimes, but trust me, y'all don't want to hear me sing. Um, But it's beautiful. It's perfect for this. It's heartbreaking, but it's exactly the situation that Lavana is in. Mm -hmm. So what was your chapter quote for this first portion here? Um, I said, though she had been practicing for years, Lavana still had the irrational fear every time she addressed an audience that she would lose control of her glamour and they would see her as she truly was. Um, and the things I've written for this are, does she still have that? Like when she's 30 and also that's depressing. Sad face. Very sad face. (laughs) Um, I wonder if she does still have that. She had a very strong reaction when Cinder was at the ball and said, stars, you're not beautiful. It's an illusion. So I think she's probably gotten more confident in her abilities, but that fear might still be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I chose uh, page 20, but to be so cherished, what a dream that must be to have a man look upon you with such adoration, to feel the press of his fingers on your back, a silent message to all who saw you that you are his and he, he must be yours. And like I said, that just brings me back to those lyrics from Sean Mendez. She's so obsessed with wondering what it would be like for someone to love her. Yeah, and it, I it it genuinely breaks my heart that that she not Lavana that we know the the predator, but that this fifteen year old Lavana 
is so desperate for any kind of affection whatsoever. And it, it makes me feel like she had a very neglectful childhood. Yeah. Like very touch starved. Mm-hmm. Also the lady with gray antlers um, that gave Levana a handkerchief. That's the antlers seems a little over top, a little over the top to her <laughs> funeral. You probably aren't old enough to know this, but when I was in high school, the big fad was sewing feathers into your hair. So people, even without glamours, have strange and peculiar um, fads that go in and out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Also, um, the gray antlers was also giving me Hunger Games capital vibes. <laughs> Hi, this is Leah. St- Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today. Dooler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guest and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast. And now, back to the show. So we're going to talk about pages 20 to 30 now. Um, it's three days after the funeral and Lavana is heading to AR4 to visit Solstice. She has convinced herself that she's just going there because she's bored and she needs new clothes for the coronation of a new queen. But the fact that she has to convince herself makes me think she's also very curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Have so when she's like um doing her glamour and like making it uh I have so many questions about glamour. Like can can you like how does the glamour work? Um and can you use glamour to like make yourself invisible? Can you use glamour to make somebody forget something? Um if someone glamours themselves to be really tall, if you like hit them at the top of their head, will you you just go right through it? Um, yeah, I've had that. I've had that same um, sort of question uh, of how far the extent of the glamour goes. If you know, when uh, I think it was, oh, I want to say it was last book that we talked about. Lavana had she had her hands like clenched in fists, but she was using her glamour to pretend that they were folded neatly in her lap. And I wondered if someone reached out to touch the hand that was in her lap, would it just touch her leg? Because there's no real, not really a hand there. Or does the glamour go so far that your brain, like that, that the person touching would still have that appearance that they're touching a hand, even though they're not. Yeah. I have. Yeah. There are just so many things that are happening in my brain right now um about glamour because i don't feel like it'd be cool if we got to know more about it yeah very interesting so i would be interested to know everybody's theories if anyone has a better understanding of physics than i do and you want to give me a theory as to how physics um works with this glamour i'd be very interested or if everyone wants to write it off as its magic suspension of disbelief that's fine too yeah so it's the third and final day of mourning. Mm-hmm. 
And so I looked this up uh, because there's lots of religions and customs that choose three days of, of mourning. And um, I, when I was Googling it, I was like, why is it three days of mourning? And perhaps because I'm Jewish, I had like a brain fart. But apparently a lot of it is because it took three days for Christ to be reborn. Uh, he was assumed dead and then three days later he rose again. So a lot of cultures and religions will choose three days of mourning to um, sort of replicate that. And so mm-hmm. I'm wondering in this society, there doesn't seem to be any form of religion on earth or on the moon. And so is that three days, just some type of tradition that, you know, has gone on for so long, no one even know where, knows where it originated anymore. Yeah. Or like, and I don't know. Or yeah, I can't think of anything else that happened for three days. Um, and if anybody else has another theory or explanation uh, for the three days rule, I'd love to hear it. I really would because, like I said, it's not something that um, I, my family traditions have practiced. Uh, now that being said, my I have two different cultures in my family. We're we're Jewish and uh, Romanian gypsies, and so we have like a very um, sort of blended tradition when it comes to loss and funerals and death and the afterlife and things of that nature. So um, oh. I would love to hear if anyone else has any information on the concept that you have three days of mourning. I. I, I know, like, a little bit about mourning, um, but I feel like um, I did research on it, like, forever ago. <laughs> um, funny story, actually. In first grade, we learned a lot about mourning because our class pet died, which Aww. was kind of sad. It was a lizard. His name was Terrafin. Um, I wanted Aww. yeah, I wanted to be a vet when I was younger, and, I mean, now I want to be a zoologist, which is... Yeah, but um, a different topic. Um, but I got to hold him, and like everyone got to pet him. But I got to hold him while everyone was petting him. <sighs> that was so fun. And then like we learned about like different types of mourning, and like some religions, like you put like a black veil over a mirror, um, which obviously they wouldn't do because they don't have mirrors. Um, and yeah, we learned a lot about that. But I don't. Remember yeah, that's good to. That's a good thing to learn about. And if you're interested in teaching. Your, your children about death and the afterlife. There's a lot of great books that delve into it. I recommend um, Ghosts, which is a graphic novel by Raina Teljamiri, I think is how you saw her name. Um, but mo- moving on a little bit further, because yeah. I just realized what time it is. <laughs> so it's been three days of mourning, and she's walking around the most popular shopping district in Artemisia, and she's glamored herself so that no one will recognize her. And the streets are so crowded that no one even notices the two guards that are following at a safe distance behind her. And this little shopping center in Artemisia sounds adorable. There's like... These are the shops that are here. Cobblers, dressmakers, milliners, jewelers, art galleries, candy shops, a coffee cafe. There's like a little fountain. I'm also picturing like... Scamp, what's wrong, buddy? Scamp. You guys, I don't know what's up. Scamp is having some weird dreams today. Um, Luckily, Beowulf is here to snuggle, so... 
Um, I just think it seems like a very cute little shopping center. I'm picturing like those brick cobbled walking paths and roads and maybe like, you know how people have like little caravan carts where they'll sell like flowers or drinks or snacks or something. Yeah. So if someone wants to draw me a picture of that, that's great too. <laughs> and when she's talking about glamouring herself, so um, AR4 um, is right in Artemisia, right? So... Mm-hmm. I was just thinking that if she went to um, a different sector, sector, I think, yeah, um, and, like, people weren't as skilled with glamour, would she pick, like, a more basic glamour to use? Um, then, because she wouldn't, like, stand out as much? Or, like, I don't know. Um, I don't know. That's that's definitely something to take into consideration. Do people in other sectors know what she looks like? Oh, yeah, because you can't, like, just have a camera. They don't have pictures. They don't have cameras. Interesting. They said they have artist renderings, so maybe they have, like, portraits and stuff. But... Oh, yeah. So while she's walking around, her eye catches on the crescent earth just beyond the dome. I love all these drawbacks to the earth being the crescent or the eclipse. Mm-hmm. much the way that the moon seems for us from the earth. Um, and she arrives at Solstice's shop. She's very nervous, and it bothers her that she's nervous because Solstice is just a seamstress, and she is a princess. Yeah. And she leaves her guards outside, and there's holographic mannequins. And every item in this shop is absolutely magnificent. And so now I want to know, where do they get all these materials from? Because they don't have a good relationship with Earth. So they're not getting any materials from Earth, but they have like silk and wool and stuff. So are do they have like a silkworm farm? Because that's where you get silk from. Do they have sheeps? Do they kidnap sheep from Earth? Do they have sheep that they like imported from Earth and silkworms that they imported from Earth and they've just been breeding and recycling them for hundreds of years? Is there like a factory that creates a bunch of synthetic materials? And so it's not like real silk, but it's like the replication of silk. I'm just very curious where all these materials come from. Mm -hmm. Like every once in a while, if like their sheep start dying, do someone just take a ship to Earth and just steal some sheep or like right because they don't have a good relationship with earth they don't have any open trade agreements so all of the materials that are on luna have been harvested and replicated from when they got there or from the last time that they had relations with earth now we know from scarlet's grandmother that she was on the last successful mission to the moon 50 years ago so it's been at least 50 years if not more since they had a good open relationship with earth meaning they haven't had trade for at least 50 years yeah so i need to know where these materials come from yeah they'd have to they might have they like were they prepared to become self-sufficient or were they super reliant on earth and they just had to that was just something that they just suddenly had to do to deal with yeah yeah i don't know that's a good point we will have to pay attention and see if uh anything else is revealed the more we go in the series and the more we learn about luna culture yeah so she notices this beautiful enchanting quilt and i'm gonna talk about it because it seems absolutely beautiful a quilt that hung on one wall large enough to take up almost the entire space earth and space 
pieced together from shredded fabrics of all different sizes and shapes. The edges left raw where they'd been seamed together. Shining forest greens and rough textured desert browns, shimmering ocean blues and velvet ebony blacks, all stitched together with gold thread. Every segment of the quilt was embroidered with whimsical patterns of ivy and flowers, elaborate spiral curls, and glowing starbursts. And though it seemed like it should have been chaotic and excessive, the consistency of the gold thread grounded the piece, made it beautiful and somehow serene. Lavana knew very little about quilting or embroidery, but she could tell instinctually that every tiny stitch had been done by hand. Ooh. But the repeated gold thread throughout the tapestry makes me think of Invisible String by Taylor Swift. Yeah. Yeah. Solstice shows up and Lavana double checks her glamour, making sure she's still this this person that doesn't look like the princess. And Solstice is the embodiment of kindness, which makes Lavana very defensive. Mm-hmm. Why do we think it makes her so defensive that someone is nice? Like it just puts her off guard and makes her uncomfortable? Because, oh, I, I mean, this might not be true, but my idea is because um, everyone who was nice to her, like, probably, like, wanted something from her or was, like, only being nice to her because she's the princess. So, like, she doesn't So really it makes her uncomfortable that Solstice is just as nice to a stranger. Mm-hmm. Solstice is offering her advice on, on what to purchase. And um, she, you know, asks what she needs while she's there. And this is very telling of Lavana because um, she remembers that she's beautiful too, so long as her glamour held up. So she's preventing herself from being intimidated by Solstice's beauty. And this is this obsession shows that she's not only obsessed with being beautiful, but being the most beautiful. And I think this is where we can take into consideration the whole fairest of them all concept. Yeah, that was my um, quote. Oh, good. Then we'll talk about it more later. (laughs) (laughs) So she needs something for tomorrow's coronation. And Solstice is like, it's rushed since it's for tomorrow. But she can try to find something in the showroom that's already created and alter it. So Lovana says, okay, I'll get gloves. I don't have to get them sized. And it'll be one less thing that she has to glamour. And Solstice says, will you be wearing a glamour? And Lovana gets angry. Okay, the thing about the the glove-sized thing, is it because she glamoured herself to have longer arms and then your hand would just pass right through her hand? Or, like, or I, there might be something else there. I don't know. Well, we know earlier she talked about having a bad arm. Oh, yeah. And she talked about wanting to wear gloves. Early, like, in the first uh, couple pages, she talked about wearing gloves because it's one less thing that she has to glamour, so... Um, this is sort of a repeat of that, but we, but yeah, we don't know why she needs gloves anyways. Yeah. So Lavana gets very defensive when Solstice asks if she's going to be wearing a glamour because she realizes that she's angry at this woman for being so effortlessly pretty and for sleeping beside her doting husband and holding a wrinkled wailing baby. And that baby, that child that they're about to have, is never going to have to question if it was loved or whether its parents loved each other. This is so much... This this shows us how dangerous her obsession with love is. Yeah. That the very concept that an unborn baby is going to have love from Solstice and Everett genuinely aggravates her. Yeah. Oh, that's um, where my song comes in. I chose... Okay. Um, Heather, and because she like wishes that 
she was soulless, um, and she would like, cause she was like angry and jealous, um, yeah. So she wishes she were sol- solstice. She really does, and solstice is very cautious about this because she sees how upset Lavonic is, and she says, "Well, I just wanted to know if you were doing a glamour because I could coordinate the gloves with your outfit or the skin tone of your glamour." And um, Lavana kind of looks at her hand. And she thinks about what it would be like that it's not her hand anymore. Ooh, that was giving me, um, remember when Cinder glamored her, mm-hmm. um, her like metal hand and then made it flesh. And then she was like, yeah, but this isn't my hand. And also the little, little lie detector thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because she even says the long slender fingers and flawless skin that weren't really hers. Mm-hmm. Perfect example of when Cinder was using her gift to make her hand look human and not cyborg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She asks what Solstice would recommend, and Solstice said that she's always been a fan of jewel tones. And Solstice kind of quirks her head to one side when she's thinking, which reminds Lavana of the small birds that are in the menagerie. And when they are listening to an unfamiliar sound, they kind of cock their head to one side. Yeah. She imagines herself wearing the gloves and looking like Solstice. Mm. She wants to look like Solstice because Solstice is beautiful and desirable or because Everett sees Solstice as beautiful and desirable. Yeah, I I don't. I think maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. So she says she'll take the gloves and the necklace and, and Solstice says, I could personalize them for you. That's my specialty. And she says, okay, you can put an L on it. And now Lavana reveals who she is. Mm-hmm. And when Solstice realizes who she is, she apologizes and she tries to curtsy, but in her fragile position, she, she kind of barely is able to. Yeah. Hey, at least you know she's next to everyone and not just royalty. That is nice to know that she's nice to everyone and not just royalty. That kindness. Well, she is a saleswoman. So I suppose if you want to play devil's advocate, maybe she's nice to people that might buy her stuff. But it, I, I think that it's genuine. Yeah. I think her kindness is genuine. Mm-hmm. So Lavana feels suddenly powerful knowing that she can make uh, Solstice apologize and curtsy in this way. Heated by the knowledge of her power over this insignificant woman and her insignificant shop, bolstered by the thought that it was indeed an honor to serve her, Lavana was tempted to demonstrate her authority. She imagined demanding that Solstice kneel to her, knowing it couldn't have been easy in her condition, or threatening her business's reputation should she be displeased with the gloves when they arrived, or suggesting that Solstice to give her the marvelous quilt of earth as a royal tithe or a symbol of gratitude, and watching her struggle to give up something that clearly had so much value to her and to her livelihood. This is so dark. And she's 15! This feels very cruel, very unprovoked, but it's a real insight into Lavana's character that this 15-year-old has such a hatred for someone who has shown her nothing but kindness simply because Solstice has something that Lavana wants. Yeah, and that's just, you're like a child. Well, how, how old are you? Oh, I'm 13. Um, oh, I thought you were 15. No. Okay, well, can you imagine acting this way? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, uh. 
You don't, like, you don't do this to people. You don't no. threaten no. to, like, steal stuff. Not steal stuff. Like, force somebody to give something to you that they want or that right. they, they or love. physically harm them. Yeah. But what's even worse, I think, is that the reason Lavana does not give in to these cruel fantasies is not because she's worried about Solstice. It's not because she thinks it's cruel. It's not because she realizes that it would be wrong. It's because she doesn't want Solstice to tell Everett. Ah, uh, I mean, I'm getting like, no, don't tell mom like kind of thing but like (laughs) right like she doesn't want her reputation with Everett to be ruined and then she even realizes like the only reason she came to Sol is because then Solstice would tell Everett how generous she was and maybe he would admire her yeah um I don't think she'll admire you if you um forced her to give you the blanket that she really likes well that's why she's not doing that yeah she even what bothers me a lot is also like the way that she leaves it she says that uh she lies to solstice and said that it's an honor and um that she could see why sir hale has always sung her praises and then she leaves with bile in her throat Ooh. she had she felt like she was gonna puke because she was so upset about being nice to someone Lavana, sweetie, what's wrong? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I understand. Do you need to talk to someone? Do you need a therapist? Yeah, like, I understand that <laughs> things have been hard in her life and no one loved her in her life, but I don't think there's a need to react like this. Like, you. We, I, I think that there's something that we as the reader are missing um, that we don't understand why it's okay to have this behavior. And we don't understand where it came from because this is a learned behavior. Lavana didn't, Lavana didn't come into the world. She wasn't born into existence thinking that she was better and that kindness was overrated and that there's no such thing as love or monogamy. That is something she learned from her parents, her family, her, the dynamics at which she grew up within the palace. And so it makes you wonder what the rest of her childhood was like. Yeah. And how different she would be if, like she was raised with a loving family and yeah yeah and a while ago i saw something on instagram i think that said like if lavana was a good person would cinder like still try and go to luna and be all like and try and take the throne um i don't think so he's be like eh, that's not my problem she's she's a nice girl if anything if lavana was a good and wholesome person and a kind and generous ruler and cinder had somehow gotten injured and lost and separated from her family in a different way. And then at mm-hmm. 16 found out that she was the long lost princess. It would be like a happy, wholesome reunion because she'd be going back to a loving and caring family. Oh, yeah. And I don't think that there would be a, um, a confrontation about would she take the throne from Lavana? I think if anything, she would step into her role as a princess and not as a queen. Yeah. Or perhaps Lavana would would recognize that she is the true queen and would step down and help her uh, learn how to play that role and to do that job. Because mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, if Lavana was a good person, she never would have tried to kill Cinder in the first place. Oh, yeah, that's very true. But we, because we read Cinder, we know that she eventually tries to kill Cinder. 
And if Lavana had been a good person, she never would have attempted that. Yeah. Please remember that Prince Kai Fan Pod is a free podcast and always will be. If you'd like to show your support for the show, head over to patreon.com slash princekaifanpod. Patreon allows you to get extra perks and behind-the-scenes bonuses for only $1 a month. If you can't join Patreon but would still like to show your support because you just love the show so much, head over to coffee.com slash princekaifanpod. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com slash princekaifanpod and leave a one-time only tip. Your support will help me bring you more TLC and Marissa Meyer content that you know and love. Now, let's get back to the episode. But that's where we um, leave this chapter. So do you want to talk about your song choice one more time? Um, yeah, uh, it's basically Heather. Um, that was a popular song a couple months ago. And I think it still might be. Um, and basically, you're, you have a crush on someone from afar. And then you realize that um, they're with someone else. And then you're jealous of that. And you wish that you were them. Um, yeah, it's yeah. a good choice. I, I chose Jealous by Labyrinth for a similar reason. Um, Jealous by Labyrinth is a very heartbreaking song. I've cried on several occasions when I've seen different live performances of it, but it is just about the jealousy that you feel when there's a love that you cannot have. And uh, you're jealous of even just rain falling upon somebody's skin because at least the rain gets to touch you. You're jealous of the wind that ripples through someone's hair and their clothes because at least that's closeness that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's Lavana. She's jealous of every single insignificant detail about Solstice. Not because Solstice herself is insignificant, but because even the tiniest portion of Solstice is loved by Everett. And she doesn't have any of that for her whole body. Mm-hmm. That's sad. So what was your quote for this one? Um, She swallowed down the rose in despair, remembered that she was beautiful too, so long as her glamour held. Remembered that she was a princess. Um, It just kind of shows that um, Lavana, like, um, that, like, she's, she's being intimidated or, and jealous of, um, Solstice, and that she's, like, being like, no, I'm not gonna do this, I'm a princess, I'm the one who, like, has the authority here, I am beautiful, and then so long as her glamour held, which is sad. That is sad. Mm-hmm. So mine was from page 30. She wanted him to think about her, even if only for a moment. She wanted him to admire her. Everything that Lavana does is for Everett because yeah. she wants his attention and his favor. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the guiding force in this 15-year-old's life. And that is very disturbing, I think. Mm-hmm. So that is it for today. Patreon members will get to vote on chapter titles. And next week, we're going to cover Fairest, pages 30 to 49. Remember, we're separating everything by the little crown symbols since Marissa did not give us chapter titles. <laughs> this week, there were 11 eggs. The bonus word hair appeared seven times. And we have the return of the glove with an appearance of 14 times in these uh, these pages. Oh, uh, yeah. Lots of parallels between Lavana and Cinder. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Larissa, thank you so much for being here. Do you want to share any of your information so people can follow you? Me and my sisters do have this like kind of business thing um, called Random Fandom Merch. We made little Rampion Crew people out of beans. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. Yes. Yeah. So that was, that's cool. You could- it is cool. So everybody can go check that out and check out the Prince Guy Fan Pod Instagram. Rate, review, and subscribe. Um, as requested, guys, I did create a Wattpad account. So if you um, are still interested in reading some of my writings, you can find the link to that in Instagram and on the website. Uh, you can also find it by searching my name. I assume there aren't any other Bethany Fingers available. Uh, I've only shared one short story so far, but it's... Uh, it's out there if you really want to read it. <laughs> was that the one that you posted on Patreon? Yes. Oh, yeah, I read that. That was a cool story. Thank you. You're really good at writing. Thank you. <laughs> I hope someone else thinks so someday and then it can get and stuff can get published. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to check out Patreon for a chance to be a guest and other cool perks and we also remember that if you don't have Patreon, but you still want to support the podcast, you can do so by going to coffee.com slash Prince Kai Um, and that's it kids. I think we did pretty well on tangents today. Mm-hmm. So keep reading, keep listening. And until next time, don't get glamored. Don't get glamored. Bye. The passages read for you today are from Ferris by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was Rampion Crew Patreon member Larissa. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening. <laughs>